I'm excited for this morning. I've been out of the pulpit for a couple weeks, uh, and so I'm excited to be back with you and bring in the Word again. And we're going right back to Hebrews chapter 11, all right? So go ahead and get to Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at verse 7 today as we continue on in this series, stepping deeper into faith and looking at these examples of faith uh, that we find in Hebrews 11 and what we can learn from their stories about what faith really looks like what it means to have faith and how we can walk deeper in faith with the Lord. And so we're going to be doing that once again this morning with the story of Noah. So you want to, Hebrews chapter 11, also maybe put a bookmark or a piece of paper or something over in Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be doing a lot of work in Genesis chapter 6 as well as we look at Noah's story and walk through this. So this is probably a familiar story, right? Like Noah is maybe one of the most familiar stories of the Bible, even to non-Christians, even those who didn't grow up in church. They know about this flood. They know about the ark. Um, you know, growing up in the church as a Christian, oftentimes as a kid, Noah and the ark was a, a, a familiar story and oftentimes looked something like this, right? The cartoon and Noah looks all happy and the animals are all there together, peaceful and nice. And, and we, we think about it like this and we even, you know, we have kids' toys of Noah and Hello. We have kids' toys of Noah in the ark, right? So you've got the Fisher-Price version. If you've got this for your kids and they're playing with Noah and the little guys. And we've got the, the plush, you know, cushy version, uh, you know, here as well. And, like, we, 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 this is the way we kind of portray. We even decorate our nurseries with Noah stuff, right? And all these depictions have something in common, all right? I, oh, yeah, I found this one, too, this week. This is Noah the Ark game. By the way, if you wanted to, a new family game for home, you have to stack all the animals on the ark before it tips over and they all go flying into the sea. All right, so that's, I'm not sure how that fits into the story, but, but this is the way a lot of times we'll think about Noah. And one thing I see in common with all these depictions is that Noah is the center of the story. Noah's the hero, right? He's the one building the ark, getting all the animals, doing the thing. And Noah and the animals become the center of the story, and it's, it's about God's love for them and how he's saving them, protecting them, but ultimately the focus is on Noah. So much so do we want to make Noah the hero of the story that we ended up with this travesty of a movie a couple years ago. Uh, hopefully you didn't see it because it was absolutely ridiculous and nothing about it was biblical, but the point of the thing was Noah was the hero. But if we go back to Genesis, if we go to the actual story of Noah and the ark, Noah and the flood in the Bible, Noah's not the hero. God is the hero. God is the focus. And not just his love for Noah, but actually the purpose of the story of the flood in, in Genesis is to show us not only God's love for Noah, but his judgment and wrath when it comes to sin. The story of the flood is there to teach us to have reverent fear for the holiness of God when it comes to sin. And so that's what we're going to look at today. In Hebrews, that's the reason he points us to Noah again, and he points us to God's holiness. And so what I want you to see this morning as we walk through these texts is this, that faith is the lifeboat that rescues me from God's holy judgment. Faith is the lifeboat, the ark, if you will, that rescues me from God's holy judgment. So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 is where we're going to be working today. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we're going to see three different things from this verse. We're going to start with this. Number one, God is holy, so his judgment is coming. God is holy, and so his judgment is coming. So the first three words of this verse is, by faith, Noah. So again, we're, we're thinking about Noah today, and, and again, this is one of the most famous Old Testament stories we have, but because it's so famous, because it's been so often told and retold and rehearsed, sometimes we end up kind of adding some details in that maybe aren't actually in the Bible, or maybe we leave some details out that are in the Bible, and we think we know the story, but we miss parts. So we're going to read through it today in different sections. So we can actually hear again afresh, what does God say about the story of Noah and the flood? So let's go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 6. If you got that, flip over Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to pick up in verse 5 today. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Keep going. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So this is the intro to the Noah story. And this is why Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says that Noah was warned by God. Right? He's warned right here in chapter 6. He warns me judgment is coming. But more importantly, why is judgment coming? He tells us back in verse 5 that we just read. Listen to the sentence again. Wickedness of man was great... And every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That is a very strong sentence. There is no wiggle room in there, right? And because of this, it says that it grieved God in his heart because of the evil sin that he saw on the earth. Man had rejected God. He had refused to love him. He would refused to worship him. And man's hearts were set only on themselves, only on their own desires, only on their own sinful ways. And what is being described here in Genesis chapter 6 is what we call in the theological world today, our term for this, is total depravity. Maybe you've heard that term before, maybe you haven't. Let me define it for you. Okay, this is what that means. Total depravity means that as a result of the fall of man... Every part of man, his mind, his will, his emotions, and flesh, have been corrupted by sin. Let me read that again. As a result of the fall of man, every part, his mind, his will, his emotions, his flesh, have been corrupted by sin. You see, 
as humans, we don't just do some sinful things sometimes. We have sinful hearts. We have sin natures in us from birth that comes out in our sinful actions. And because our hearts are sinful, that means that even our good things, even our good acts, even the good stuff that we do, more times than not, is actually motivated by our own selfish desires. I do it for my own good and for my own glory. I don't do it for God's glory. That's the natural heart of man. And because of that, Scripture throughout calls us slaves to sin, calls us lovers of darkness, and hostile towards God. That's the picture of Genesis 6. That's what God was seeing across the entire earth. And that was a front to his holiness. So now we have this contrast between total depravity and God's holiness, which is defined as this, absolute moral purity that sets him apart from all creation. Absolute moral purity. That is the essence of God's holiness and his character. He is perfectly good in every way. In fact, he is so good that his nature sets the very standard of good. We know what is good because we look at God and we see who he is and how he works and what he does. He defines what good and holy is. And because of that, he cannot commit or commend or even come in contact with sin, which therefore puts us at a distance from him. Sinful humanity is separated from God because of his holiness and our sinfulness. And furthermore, in order to maintain and to uphold his perfect holiness, he must justly judge and punish sin. Rebellion that is against him, that's contrary to his nature. In other words, let me say it this way. If he did not justly judge and punish sin, he would cease to be a holy God. And so he says to Noah, because he sees the sinfulness of man, he says, I will blot out man in verse 7. And then in verse 13, he says, I will make an end of all flesh. He's telling Noah, listen, judgment is coming. But then we have this verse, verse 8. Look at verse 8 again, chapter 6, Genesis, verse 8. It's, like, it's almost like it's like a, like a, like a just, I accidentally slid in there. <laughs> He's talking about all the sin, all the stuff, all the depravity of man. And then he says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. This is why God warned Noah about the coming judgment. Because he had found favor with the Lord, because he pleased the Lord. If you were here a couple weeks ago when we were studying Hebrews, we already found out that it is impossible, say impossible, it is impossible to please God without what? Faith. Remember that? Hebrews chapter 6? Or Hebrews 11 verse 6? It is impossible to please God without faith. So if Noah pleased God, if, God, if Noah found favor with God, that means that he had faith. He already believed. 
He was a man of faith. And he knew that God was there. And so evidently, he was the only one left who had faith. And so God came and he warned him about this coming judgment. And when he warned him, this is the key, Noah responded in faith. He went on to do what God told him to do in response to the coming judgment. And we know he responded in faith because Hebrews, back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says that when God warned him, he warned him about events as yet unseen. In other words, he specifically warned him about the coming catastrophic flood that would wipe out all of life on the earth. He told him, hey, this great judgment is coming. But here's the thing about warnings. Warnings are only valuable if you believe them and heed them. Right? How many times have we seen the warning signs, right? Floor is slippery, and we just keep going, and then, right? How many times do we see the warning signs, and we just, I'm good, I'm not worried about that, I'm just, I'm good. Noah heard the warning, and he believed God. And this required Noah then to act on faith about this coming judgment. And only his faith could save him. And what we see here in the flood, this whole narrative, is really a foreshadowing of the final judgment that is still yet to come, that one day when Christ returns to the earth and he's going to judge all of mankind. And because the flood is a foreshadowing of that judgment, we can see five characteristics of God's judgment in the flood that we can also know are coming in the final judgment that we need to be prepared for. So let me give you these real quick. Number one, God's judgment is justified. This one's a hard one for us to swallow sometimes, but it is. God's judgment is justified because God is holy and he is just to punish sin in response to his holiness. Back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, mankind's hearts were evil continually, deserving of judgment. And we read in Nahum 1, verses 2 through 3, that is a book of the Bible, by the way, if you don't know that one, it's a small one in the back of the Old Testament. It's a prophet, and he says this, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is an avenging and wrathful The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And catch this, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. God cannot clear the guilty because then he would no longer be a holy and just God. His judgment is justified. Second thing, number two, God's judgment is real. It's real. This flood event that we have recorded in history is an actual historical event that happened on the earth. And just as that event of the flood was real, likewise his future judgment also is real and is coming. We know this because Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Listen to this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, but concerning the day, that day the day of judgment that is yet to come, 
Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, see the comparison? As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, just as the the days of Noah and the flood were real and the judgment came and the people suffered, so is Jesus' coming judgment. It is real. And those who have not confessed their sin and put their faith in Him will suffer the wrath of God for their sin. It's real. Number three, God's judgment is ignored. You see, in Noah's day here, no one else repents. They just continue on with life as normal, right? He's telling them the flood's coming, this is going to happen, you need to repent of your sin. Nope, they just keep going on like nothing's, nothing's the matter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we hear this about Noah. It says if he, uh, Talking about God, he says, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. Another word for herald is preacher. A preacher of righteousness with seven others he brought... He, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. In other words, Peter's telling us here, like, listen, when Noah, back in his day, when he was building the ark, he wasn't just building, he was also preaching. In some form or fashion, we don't know exactly how or what, but somehow Noah was telling the people, this is what's coming, and you need to repent of your sin. And no one did. They just kept going. They completely ignored the warning of the coming judgment. Jesus talks about it too. Matthew 24, verse 38, he says, For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. His judgment, his warning is ignored. As a result, many people are going to suffer. Number four, God's judgment is universal. As we read the story of the flood, we find out that the flood covered the entire earth and killed every living creature with no escape. Let me read a little bit of that for you. Go to Genesis chapter 7. I'm going to pick up in verse 17. Genesis 7, 17. It says, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. Listen to this. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. And he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, and they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Just as the flood was universal, taking out every single thing that was touched by sin, likewise, Jesus' second coming will be universal, and his judgment will touch everyone who is still caught in sin. There will be no escape at that point. 
Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, the life, the book of Jesus, where he records those who have faith in him, if their name's not in there, he says, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Universal. And lastly, God's judgment, number five, is final. There are no second chances. There are no do-overs. There are no exceptions. After Noah and his family and the animals got into the ark, uh, it says in verse 16 of chapter 7 that the Lord shut him in. Meaning that the Lord himself actually closed the door to the ark in order to ensure that none of the sinful men who failed to repent would be able to enter and be saved. And once that door was sealed, it was over. The time of repentance was done. The time of judgment had come. And no matter how much they cried and moaned and yelled and banged on the door, which I'm sure they did as the water started to rise, they were not getting in. It was too late. Because God's judgment is final. Again, Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's a day coming where it will be too late. The door will be closed. His judgment will be final. Sin will be punished. And God's holiness will endure. You can cut the tension in this room right now with a knife. Because we don't talk about this anymore in our culture. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. Even in churches, we don't like to talk about God's judgment. But one of the most famous sermons in all of American history by a guy named Jonathan Edwards was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in this sermon, he spotlights the wrath of God towards sinners and how those, in, those who are not in Christ are dangling over the fires of hell like a spider dangling over the flame. And through this sermon, this type of preaching, God used it to ignite a revival in our country, in our land, that swept all across the United States because he was willing to put God's salvation and grace in the context of God's wrath. But today we don't want to hear about that. Our culture and churches, they want to try to explain away God's judgment. People say things like, what kind of loving God would judge and punish people and hurt people and send people to hell? That doesn't sound like a good loving God to me as if we get a say in who God is. 
That would be unfair, right? After all, look at all the good stuff they did. Look at all the good things they did. And he's going to punish them for just a few bad things? Really? See, in reality, it's actually the exact opposite. The opposite is true. And let me illustrate it for you. If you have any of those thoughts, if any of that's rolling around in your head, let me just, just think about this for a second. If someone came today, we're sitting here in church, you're here, you're worshiping God, you're here in the sermon, and while we're doing this, somebody is at your bank right now emptying out your entire bank account, taking everything that you have. But they do serve every week at the local food pantry for several hours. So is their service there a good enough excuse to just excuse their behavior of stealing all your money? No, it's okay. They can have it. They, They serve every week. We're good. Or if someone abused your child, would all the money they raised for the PTA last year for the new playground, would that be enough to say, no, it's okay. We'll let them slide on this one because they did this great thing over here. Or if someone murdered your loved one, but were otherwise a model citizen, nothing on their record, no problems, no other crimes, no other issues, would you be okay with just letting them go? Should they be declared not guilty because of everything else they've done? No. No good judge would do that. No fair, just judge would say, well, you did some good things, so we'll just let the bad things go. And none of us would want that, and you shouldn't. God is a good, just judge. He is a holy judge. And therefore, he holds the standard of absolute perfection. And it cannot be violated. It must be upheld. And therefore, he must punish sin that violates it in any way. If he did not, he would cease to be good. God is holy, so his judgment is coming. That's the first thing we need to learn from Noah. Thankfully, there's more. Look at this next part of verse 7 in Hebrews chapter 11. And we see this, that God is holy, so we need his grace to rescue us. There is an answer. There's an answer to the judgment. There's an answer to the wrath of God, and it is his grace, and we need it to rescue us. It says that when Noah heard the warning of God about the coming judgment, that he responded with reverent fear, which means that he was fully resolved that God was powerful and faithful and holy. He believed God was who he said he was. He believed God's warning, and he believed that he was resolved to punish sin and had the ability to do so. You know, in our family, we have three little girls. and not Actually, they're not little so much. I probably need to quit calling them that. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've been learning a lot about parenting through the years. As they're getting older, we're going into new seasons of parenting. We're learning even more. But there's one thing that I have learned for sure. If any discipline is going to be effective, they have to believe it. 
They have to believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Because if not, game over. Right? Like they're going to do whatever they want. We just had this happen a couple weeks ago. We had one of our wonderful daughters. I gave her a task to do, and she had all day to do it. And I said, if this is not done by such and such time, then, then you will not get to participate with the family tonight in our family treat and fun night and the stuff we're going to do. Like, you're going to miss out if this isn't done. And as the day went on, I could tell she didn't believe me because she was just kind of lollygagging around and not getting it done and not just kind of stalling and all this kind of stuff. And so we finally got there, and it was time. And I, we loaded up the whole family. We went and got ice cream at this new place, and we came back, and we watched our favorite show, the, the finale of our show together as a family, and she missed out on all of it. And she was so mad. Man, she was hot. She was crying. She was like, I, I can't believe you do that to me. Da, 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 da. Because she didn't believe me. She didn't believe the warning that I gave her. And so I had to follow through. She had to know that this is what it is. This is the consequence. Because next time she needs to believe it. She needs to have that reverent fear. That if I don't do what I'm told to do, judgment is coming. We need to have that same reverent fear of the Lord. That if I don't do what he says, judgment is coming. And I need a fix for that. Because let, let, me, let me just go ahead and burst the bubble this morning. None of us do it right. None of us, myself included, get it right every time. We're going to fail. And so we need rescue. We need to believe that we need rescue. Noah believed. And so he constructed an ark. Right, this is his act of faith in God's warning and need for rescue. Look at, back at Genesis chapter 6 again. Look at verse 14. He says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of, of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. That last verse is so important. Verse 22, look at it again. Noah did all that God commanded. Why? Why did Noah go through all this work? I'm telling you what, building that ark would have been like crazy hard. And he did it. He did all that God commanded. Why? Because he believed God's word. He believed the warning 
He had faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And think about the faith that that would have taken. This possibly was the first boat ever constructed. We have no other record of anything else, anyone sailing or fishing or doing anything. Like, this could be the first boat, and it's definitely the first boat of this size. This also could have been the first time that he's ever heard anything about rain or floods. We don't know for sure, but again, there's no mention of rain before this. So he has all this stuff. God's like He has no concept for what this even means, and yet he's doing it because God said, do it. And he's building it in the middle of the land, probably nowhere near the sea. He's not getting any help from anybody else, probably just ridicule. But he had faith. He believed God, and so he did what God said. In faith, Noah believed God's word, and in faith, Noah received God's grace as a result. He was saved from God's judgment on sin through the salvation of the ark, foreshadowing, once again, God's grace to save us in Jesus Christ. So now I get to give you the good news. I gave you five characteristics of God's judgment. I want to give you five characteristics of God's grace that we see in Noah's story. Number one, God's grace is prepared. It's prepared by God, not by us. We're not the ones who come up with grace. This isn't our idea. It's not our plan. Noah wasn't the one who had the idea to build the ark, right? Noah didn't fix this. God told him what to do. God prepared the plan to save Noah from the flood and from the judgment. Likewise, God prepared a plan for us to be saved from sin and saved from eternal judgment through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Planned ahead of time, prepared ahead of time. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 23. It says, This Jesus that you delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him and killed by the hands of lawless men. By the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God already knew this is the way he was going to give us grace and save us from sin. God's grace is prepared for us. Number two, it is preemptive. It gives us a chance before judgment comes. Not during, not after, before It's preemptive. God warned Noah before the flood and gave him ample time to build the ark. Likewise, every time we hear the gospel, every time we hear a sermon like this, every time we open our Bibles and read God's word, God is giving us another opportunity to be saved and put our faith in him and receive his grace in our lives. It is preemptive. Number three, God's grace is patient. The Bible describes God as long-suffering, that he delays his judgment. Yes, his judgment is coming, but it is delayed in order to give us time for repentance. He doesn't strike us down the moment we sin. He gives us time. This was, when we get to the story of Noah, you have to put this in the context of the whole Bible. This is already several, several generations in to sinfulness with mankind. This wasn't an overnight thing. This has been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years of man continuing on in sinfulness and rebellion against God by the time we get to Noah. He was patient 
And he even let Noah preach to them like we heard earlier. And they had a chance to repent and they refused to do so. He was patient with them. But they refused. He's patient with us. Number four, God's grace provides. It provides. It gives us everything that we need to be saved. We don't have to come up with any of it. Noah didn't, right? He gave Noah everything. He gave Noah the plans. He gave Noah the materials. He gave Noah the the animals, the food. He gave Noah everything he needed to carry out the ark. Likewise, God gives us everything that we need in his grace through Jesus Christ in order to be saved. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to bring anything to the table. When Christ was on the cross dying for our sins, he cried out, It is finished. He had completely finished the work of salvation. All we have to do is receive it. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace. Lastly, God's grace is perseverance. In other words, for those who believe in Christ, God protects us until the end. He carries us all the way to the end through all of our sin, through all of our struggle. Just as God shut the door to keep the sinful people out once judgment was coming, He also shut the door to keep Noah and his family safe inside. He was sealing them in their ark of salvation just as Christ promises to keep us safe when He seals us with the Holy Spirit and carries us all the way to glory. God's grace is persevering through all of our sin and all of our struggles. We're protected from death and eternal punishment. We are safe and secure in His amazing grace because His grace is the only way to escape the judgment. God is holy, and so we need His grace to rescue us. That's point one and two. There's one more thing we see in verse 7. Look back at verse 7 again on chapter 11 of Hebrews and we see that God is holy so we stand condemned or saved. Because God is holy, every single person stands condemned or saved. It starts off there in that last part of verse 7. It says, by this. By this. By what? This points to the ark. By the ark or, or by salvation or by both. They're really the same thing. Noah was saved. And the ark is actually just a picture of Noah's faith. It's the evidence that Noah had faith because he was willing to listen to God and do what he said. And so by this, by the evidence of his faith, it says Noah condemned the world. By his life, by his preaching, by his ark, by his faith. But the word condemned here is important because it might not mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean to sentence to death or to, to, you know, to punish in some way. That's not the kind of condemned he's talking about here. Condemned here simply means to show the guilt of someone or to declare someone unfit based on the evidence of their life. Noah wasn't casting them into hell or punishing them. Noah, just by his faith, by his life of following God, was revealing that they did not have faith. And if you have no faith, you are condemned already, the Bible says. And so by his faith, he condemned the world. He showed them 
their lack of faith, but also it says he became an heir of righteousness. He became an heir of God. He became a son of God because of his faith and of righteousness, not his own righteousness, right? If, if you're an heir, you're not doing anything, right? You're not earning anything. You're not working. You're not bringing, like, if you're an heir, all you're doing is receiving it. And so if you're an heir of righteousness, all, you're not creating righteousness. You're not righteous in yourself. You're just receiving the gift of God's righteousness in Jesus Christ. And it says that Noah here, he received it by faith. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive his, what we call imputed righteousness. Which is a fancy word for saying, he gives it to you for free. Okay? He covers you in his perfect righteousness that you could never achieve. Which leads to eternal life with God rather than death and judgment. One of the authors I was reading this week had a great quote. He said it like this. He said, God's promise of eternal blessing can be understood only in light of his warning against ultimate judgment. Grace, as wonderful as it is, it only makes sense against the backdrop of the judgment of God on sin. We can only fully understand the beauty of grace when we see the horror of judgment. But here's what I love about Noah's story. God finishes the story with this perfect picture of both judgment and grace standing side by side. Look with me one more time. Genesis chapter 9, very end of the flood story. Genesis chapter 9, verse 12. Closing with this. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. So this is the sign of the covenant, he says. Verse 13, I have set my bow in the clouds. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. He says, I have set my bow in the cloud. Here's the really cool part. That word bow, we know that, that means rainbow, right? Like the rainbow, everybody got that part of the Noah's Ark, where it's always in the Noah's Ark picture, right? But here's what the word in Hebrew actually means. It doesn't mean rainbow. It means war bow. Like bow and arrow that you would take to fight someone. To kill someone. He says, I'm taking my bow, my war bow, and I'm hanging it in the clouds. As a promise that next time this comes around, next time judgment is necessary, I'm not going to point it down at you anymore. Now I'm going to point it up into heaven, and I'm going to take the judgment for you. And God's war bow is pointing up into the heart of heaven where Jesus Christ stands in our place and takes all the judgment and all the wrath for all of our sin so that we can be saved. And God put it there as a promise to us that if we will turn away from our sin and put our faith in Jesus who died on the cross to give us grace and freedom and salvation, that we will be saved, not condemned. 
that we can be free from God's wrath and free from God's judgment, guaranteed, because of what Christ has done. That is why the gospel is truly good news. Because God is holy. We are sinful. Judgment is coming, but Jesus made a way for us to be saved. And if you will put your faith in him, if you will step into the ark that is Jesus Christ, you will be saved from coming judgment, but you have to receive him by faith. By faith, that's the only way. We all have a choice to make. Will you stand condemned or saved when the judgment comes? God is holy. Turn to him in faith. Believe. Faith is the lifeboat that rescues me from God's holy judgment. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father.